Hey, my name is John Murphy. Welcome to On the Homefront. We're on the air Wednesdays at WILI AM 1400, 95.3 FM. So we're doing live radio right now. We're also recording this for YouTube. We have a YouTube dedicated channel for WILI. So our programs are here in a playlist so you can get information from our guests all the time to help them reach you any way we can. Programs are also rebroadcast on Wednesdays on WECS up at Eastern Connecticut State University in the afternoons. Again, to give all of our guests a chance to reach as many people as possible. We have another busy show today. For our third segment, we have some arts news from the Assets for Artists program. That's with the, uh, uh, the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. They have regional arts support that includes Connecticut, and there are new grant programs and training opportunities available for artists, and we'll talk with Molly Rideout for the last part of the show today. Also, we're going to have a visit again from Liz Bologna from the Arts Center East in Vernon. They're a major arts organization in that part of the state. They come by a few times each year to update you on all their events. They have two big events coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, we'll talk to Liz about that. And for the first part of the program, I'm very happy to continue our coverage of the issues of health care changes in eastern Connecticut. Uh, the Windy United Coalition to Save Our Health Care has been on the show many times in the last year, year and a half, trying to cover changes at Wyndham Hospital, the impacts they're having on families and especially women in our community and the legal process of review and accountability and management that's still underway to resolve the debate. But today I'm very happy to have new guests join the show. They are with the Neighbors Fund, and they work with immigrant families, and they provide many, many kinds of support services. But health care is one of their critical areas, and they're planning a rally, or I guess it's called a vigil of sorts, on November 13th at the state capitol. So they're here today to talk about that and to talk about their good work throughout the year. So sitting next to me is Jose Salas Blanco and also Tatiana Gomez. They're both on the board of the Neighbors Fund. So first of all, thank you for your good work for the community and for being here today to share the good news. Uh, thank you for having us and um, uh, for giving the Wyndham United to Save Our Healthcare Coalition this space to um, just remind the community that um, we've, it's been three years since um, a child was last born at Wyndham Hospital. And That's um, fast. three years now. Yeah, three years. That's three years. Fast. Okay. So, what are your hopes for the rally? Because we'll talk about this at the end. It's planned for the 13th. Folks are going to leave from here and head to Hartford. So, explain your hopes for the day and what the real message is at the site there. Yes. So, yeah. um, we're going to have a vigil at the uh, state capitol building or outside the state capitol building right. on November, Monday, November 13th. Uh, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Um, our main focus for the vigil is to just remind our legislators, our, the, um, the public, that, um, again, it's been over three years since a child was last born at uh, Wyndham Hospital. Um, we want to also raise the voices of impacted community members. We have been working with... Um, social workers and other community leaders to try to find well not to try to find but to um to to bring to light right the uh the the lives being impacted by or affected by um this decision from a corporation um and also um we're gonna have uh we're gonna have um some health Healthcare workers speak about the importance of um, 
maternity maternity care or the obstetric service, how important that is. And um, I believe um, my fellow board member here, Tatiana Gomez, she has a couple um, statistics and um, words to say about how um, about this this important service. Hey, thank you for having us again. Sure. Yes, so I just wanted to mention, I wanted to bring to light, and I know this has been said before, how important it is to have uh, an obstetric, uh, obstetric unit in town. I work a lot with the youth. I'm a teacher at the high school, and I work with many of our families in town. And the transportation is a big issue, right? Absolutely. When you're in pregnancy, because it's something that happens so often that we see all the time, we don't really really acknowledge how risky it is and how dangerous really it is, right? Giving birth is not an easy thing. So when you have to travel at least 25 miles, half an hour, to get somewhere that can create complications. And, and the research there that shows that. There was a, a great letter written by Mr. Shaw, the former CEO of Generations. Arvin Shaw. Mm -hmm. He's been on the program many times over the years. Yep. He wrote yep. a great letter to one of the Connecticut health analysts um, where he cites studies that show that the lack of access to these services and increased distance to travel to receive them has been associated with increased risks of induced C-sections, which can lead to more complications, along with postpartum hemorrhaging and prolonged ho uh, hospital stays, and as well as postpartum depression. So we right. know this, right? Like the research show this. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, I can just tell you personally from what I've seen that it's very hard for women to be separated from their families. Sometimes they either have to take a taxi or an right. Uber because they can't afford an ambulance. God forbid it becomes a complicated, you know, birth, then maybe you have to be helicoptered in, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not just for, for the women in town, but even the surrounding towns. Yeah. So Well, towns are spread out here. People can be isolated. There's no real mass transit. There's a limited bus system, but not for this kind of situation. Correct. So it's a real-life thing, and it has been a long time. They always say the wheels of government are slow, right? But, you know, it's still one day at a time, as far as I know, for the clock. And that's the stress that you're dealing with. Uh, now, can you talk a little bit about the work you do uh, at the Neighbors Fund? Because this has been, I guess, you started around 2017 now. And Jose was one of the group that founded it. So how has it been since you started? And how are things now with these issues uh, for families? Yes. Um, so one of the reasons we, um, we took on this issue of health care um, is because we, we do see how a lack of equitable access um, is an issue for the uh, immigrants, refugees, and other demographics we serve as a nonprofit. Um, we also know that sometimes there's a language barrier. Um, if um, someone has to deliver and they have to be transported by via ambulance, yeah. um, it's a 30-minute ride, give or take, depending on traffic, weather conditions, and um, if one of the healthcare professionals, personnel, EMTs, um, mm -hmm. EMS, um, if they're not bilingual or uh, bicultural, it does present a barrier. Um, sure. So it's a, it, it's it can be an unsafe um, an unsafe scenario for um, the uh, the patients and then also the. Uh, the uh, healthcare workers involved. Uh, we do know there are um, there are th 
um, things in place uh, to for as a last resort measure, but um, like a safety net kind of thing. If all the normal things break down, yes, when like, you have no other choice. Yes, okay. um, like there's a possibility of giving birth at the emergency department here at Wyndham, but then that also becomes an issue of whether the staff there, they're great. Um, um, I work with some of them, okay. <laughs> and it's just a matter of them having the skill set, the expertise, and experience mm -hmm. to provide great quality um, of service and outcome for um, a patient giving birth. And as so um, our outreach and um, the things we do as a nonprofit have um, expanded. Our scope has definitely expanded into other areas such as healthcare. Right. Right. And then you create a situation that's not ideal for the workers and for the patients. Correct. Yeah. It's a lose-lose kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> now, we still have a few more minutes to tell the story about the Neighbor Fund. By the way, the website is theneighborfund.org, and they serve Tolland and Wyndham counties. Uh, except for health issues, what other aspects of living are you helping people so we help families with anything that deals with immigration um, needs, which oftentimes the immigration fees are ridiculously expensive, right? Yes. And so we help people apply for their DACA for any uh, anything that has to do with their lawyer fees. We actually work very closely with Sister Mary Jude, uh, who's at Sagrado Corazon. Is that right? And she actually helps run a, a, a low bono or pro bono lawyer clinic to get... Wow families connected with lawyers that won't take advantage of them because unfortunately that happens often sure so lawyers that we know are legitimate and uh you know really want to help the families yeah. and she usually helps set that up and we have hunted tons of those cases uh, that's spirit in action mm -hmm. they have pro bono lawyers for the arts as well and they do the same kind of help for artists to help them deal with legal stuff yeah and um, I, I just want to highlight to the partnership that is done with is um, the Quiet Corner Refugee Resettlement um, um, Organization, and um, it's also a um, partnership we've developed with um, Sister Mary Jude as well, who mm -hmm. provides a space for for these clinics. Yeah, we've had the uh, the Quiet Corner group here. They've located people from Afghanistan in our area, I think maybe Mansfield. Uh, some folks, I think, are going into Coventry soon. So they're doing their bit on a, maybe more on the legal side of the actual documentation, these kind of things, and housing. Uh, but, you know, having you, you know, two together is the best of both worlds and what could be a very difficult situation. So once again, this is going to be a vigil at the state capitol. It's going to be on Monday, November 13th at 530 and once again, could you run down how people can get a free ride from here in town and you know, you know how they should prepare for the day? Yes. Um, so the uh, coalition, we're going to have a school bus. Um, the school bus has up to 40 seats. It's going to be as a uh, first-come, first-served basis. Mm -hmm. So people have to pre-register. Um, the deadline to register to get a seat um, to to get a seat um, yeah. in the bus yeah. would be November 3rd. Okay. Um, we at least need 20 people to, to sign up. Um, oh, I see. To, just to make everything kind of... Yeah, um, to get the bus. Yeah. So it works, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And if you're interested in checking out the Neighbor Fund, we do have our website. And if you need help, you can apply for help on there. Or if you'd like to donate, you can also donate to our cause on there. Well, that's a really good point maybe to close on. I was going to ask you because they have integrated the whole website thing. Could you talk about what is there in the different nooks and crannies so people can find their way? Yes, so on our website, you'll find information about us, um, how we started off as a nonprofit, uh, what we believe, um, the counties we serve, which are both Wyndham and Tolland. Right. Um, you'll also find a few pictures of us, um, the folks that are on the board, and different events we've planned and have had throughout the years. Um, and again, this is an issue we're taking on as a nonprofit uh, because, you know, we're a part of a community, um, not only as board members and uh, volunteers of the Neighbor Fund, but also um, the demographic. We, we serve both in Wyndham and Holland counties, yeah. and they're also uh, impacted by this decision, this rush decision of a corporation upending or uprooting a service that was here in town for over 80 years. Yeah. Because if people are following the news, the health care system, the ownership of hospitals, hospitals are buying each other. Uh, you know, the building blocks are being rearranged right now. And, the, and like the logos are spreading everywhere. So we've had folks on from the coalition before. And maybe you could take out your crystal ball before you go. Because we're talking <laughs> about the... Uh, the Office of Healthcare Strategy, they're doing an analysis of the situation. Do you have any idea as we get into November when you might hear something? Because it has been a long wait. And uh, people need to know that in order to know the next steps. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's another issue to the Office of Health Strategy. It's kind of regulating um, these mergers that are occurring where bigger corporations are buying smaller community hospitals. And um, the, the issue we want to highlight right now is that um, the Office of Health Strategy, even though it does have good intentions to look out for the public good, um, right now it doesn't have much power to enforce its decisions. It kind of has to bargain with these corporations. And um, as nonprofits, as community members, we want to highlight that to the public, also to our legislators. So hopefully um, laws can be put in place to kind of give um, this the Office of Health Strategy, this, this agency, um, more power or more um, authority to um, look out for the public's um, health and well-being. Right. Well, that's a good note to wrap it up, at least for now. But I'm glad you came by to say hello. We'll have you back in the future. We'll track this. There were some bills and ideas that were put into the legislative session that didn't make it out, and they're going to try again in the next session coming up. So we'll certainly have a lot of things to talk about once that starts. Mm -hmm. And we'll see uh, about the Office of Healthcare uh, Strategy Report. So thanks again for being here. We'll look forward to having you back when the timing is right, and uh, we wish you well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Okay, this is on the home front here on WILI. We have more to come. We'll take a couple of messages, come back and look at the Arts Center East and artist training from the Assets for Artists program. So don't go away.
Hello, folks. We're back here live with On the Home Front on WILI. The rest of our show today will focus on the arts. For the last part of the show, we're going to have Molly Rideout back on the show. She is uh, with the the Assets for Artists program. They serve New England, including Connecticut, of course, and there's new programs, there's new grant opportunities coming up, and there's some training workshops that she wants to let you know about. So she'll be here following my conversation now with Liz Bologna. Liz has been here many times now. She's the executive director of the Arts Center east in vernon just a few miles away to our north liz good to have you back in the house first of all thanks for having me it's great to be here yes always always so uh she saw a news story uh in the connecticut mirror the other day that got her pretty fired up and i think that's a good starting point before we talk about your events for october sure. November. right go ahead yeah. share the wrath i was i was very excited by this article that came out in the connecticut mirror i'm sure it's come out in other publications as well that's just mm -hmm. the one where i saw it first right. um but there was this uh report that came out from the uh it's the arts and economic prosperity six i, I don't know why it's six I, if There's i paid more attention There's i might know one. um but the the big news is that you know that uh Arts nonprofits in Connecticut contribute almost a billion dollars to the Connecticut economy, which is enormous. And if you talk to people who run arts organizations, we could tell you, well, yeah, of course we do. We bring people to the place. And when people come to the place, like Art Center East, they don't come just to Art Center East. They're going to stop at Vernon Coffee Roasters down the street. They're going to go to the Ryan's Deli. They're going to see what else is in town. That's right. So among other things, like that the arts do create jobs because we pay artists, we hire instructors, we have to pay for materials. There's a lot of money that gets exchanged in the arts. So I think people forget about that part, yeah. that you come and you see a show or you come and you see an exhibit, but you forget about all the work that goes into making that happen. And then oh, yeah. sometimes we forget about the visitors too, that they are also spending money in the town that they're coming to visit. But, yeah, we generate a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, you know, people think about the auto industry, and you have the the big automakers and people that make all the parts, all the supplies, sure. everything related to make it work every day. Mm -hmm. And this is a massive part of the economy that's still trying to get recognition. They, yeah. they try every year in the session. And one thing that was the cultural fund you mentioned, that was a huge hit, right? Yeah. So can you talk about the impact of that? It's called the cultural fund, and it had been there, but it was lost. Yeah, so after COVID, we were lucky, and the state of Connecticut came out with the Connecticut Cultural Fund, which was a significant amount of money put in the state budget designated to arts and culture nonprofit organizations to sort of help us keep our doors open and, yep. and get back to quote unquote, back to, you know, where we used to be before so many of us had to shut down for COVID. All during those three years. Kind yeah. Of, right, right. And now, unfortunately, for 2024, that money is no longer in the state budget, which for Art Center East means we don't have about 10% of our operating budget for 2024. It's not, it's, it's a significant yeah. portion of money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are the realities that we're facing in a lot of other organizations that, you know, we have in town, like the, the Vernon Corral. They're looking at the same situation where they had this support from the state and now it's no longer there. We still have the support of our patrons, but it's that extra boost that you yeah. get from the state that really does help us keep going. And, you know, the other side of the story that, that's also hard to share is that before COVID, a lot of these organizations we're talking about were already marginal. It was tight. Mm -hmm. They had already made cuts. They'd already made do with very marginal excess. 
So now when that's gone, it's even tighter than before. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's really unfortunate that, you know, we we were able to see so much growth, I mean, particularly after COVID, but we've been able yeah. to add so much programming and oh, exhibits yeah. and classes, and yeah. we intend to continue as yeah. best we can because, you know, our exhibits are always going to be free and open to the public no matter what. That is not something that's going to change for Art Center East. Right. So there's one aspect of this is you should jot down the website after today because everything that Liz is talking about is there, plus other things coming up in the winter, artcentereast.org. So it's real simple. She has some highlights that she wants to share today. But coming up in February is their annual meeting, and they're going through their review process, and they may have some openings for people to join their board. And this is where volunteers can make a bigger difference because you're doing something to help the organization run as a whole. It's great to help with an event, run an art show, have a fair, but the, the board works more on the overall group, and that's where you work every day. Yeah. So could you talk a bit about what board members do and how they might be able to help out? Oh, sure. So yeah. board members do a lot for us. Um, we have several different committees. You know, we have the finance committee that's really going to look at the nitty-gritty and the realities of running our building and running right. our programs. Right. Um, but we have board members also who help with the programming aspect of, you know, how do we get new people to the art center? What is it that's really intriguing to people? Or how do we get a larger audience? And what, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's the part that I like doing is the programming. Right. Um, but, yeah, we have, you know, development committee. Again, a lot of it obviously comes down to money and how do we get more money and sure. encourage more people to spend money at the art center. But yeah, there are a lot of different ways to make that happen as a board member. All right. So while we have some time, Liz is here to share a few highlights. They have some, uh, some classes starting up and there's a couple of big events that involve photography and then there's a big art fair. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you give that good news. Yeah. So Please. I have to talk about our annual holiday fair because off the top of my head, I cannot remember how many years it's been running, but it's been every single year pretty much that the, the art center has been in existence. So um, November 9th to November 19th uh -huh. is our holiday fair. We have over 60 uh, local and regional artisans. They make wow. all kinds of handmade items. We have jewelry, stationery, woodworking. We have uh, a woman this year who works in leather working. We haven't had uh, a leather working artist before, so we're excited about that. We have glass artists, felt artists, um, we have, the, oh, there's this great place, Richfield Farms. They make uh, soaps, and they make them from their own goats, goat milk, and it's very oh, wow. it's very farm-to-table kind of uh, situation with our artists. And for some people, goat soap is very skin-friendly. It is very yeah, skin-friendly. Very, very, yeah, I know, mm -hmm. that's really a big deal. Yeah, so we have all yeah. of that going on. And we're adding uh, a craft this year, actually. So Saturdays and Sundays, uh, any kid that comes during the, the holiday fair, if, you know, parents, guardians are shopping and kids are getting a little antsy, they can come downstairs in our classroom and they can make a little ornament craft that they oh, can take cool. home with them. An ornament for the holidays. Yep. Cool. That's the plan. So the fair is on the weekends, so it's more accessible to you and people are busy with school and work, obviously. So it's Thursday and Friday afternoons, 1 to 5, Saturdays, 9 to 5, and Sundays 10 to 3, and it's all at the website. So that's where you can go and kind of support this arts economy you're talking about. Because yeah. all those artists have their local economy, and they're all over the state. Are they all? Are they mainly Connecticut, or are they from out of state, too? They're mainly Connecticut. We do have I some figure. Massachusetts, um, some Rhode Island artists. But, yeah. um, I mean, the big, the big talking point for the art fair, too, is that... Um, 
you know, 70 to 80% of the proceeds go directly to the artists, um, that we, you know, we have the building and we do the promotion and we do like a gallery. Exactly. We we do the legwork, but really we're there to promote the artists and support Mm -hmm. what they do. Right. Now, the other thing here is if you're a photographer, if you like to shoot pictures, this is an opportunity. You have until November 10th to make some submissions in their annual, it's the 12th annual uh, photography exhibition. Can you talk about that and what your thoughts are for type of photos, what kind of media, those kind of things? Yeah, so our photography exhibit is one of our most popular for the artists as well as uh, as patrons who come to the exhibits. Um, And we get we get hundreds of submissions for this exhibit. So it is competitive, um, but it is juried also. So it that is means, juried. Yep, there are prizes and there are cash okay. prizes as well. So uh, we usually give, I, oh, we usually give roughly four um, best in show and then first, second, third, and then honorable mentions as well. Because right, um, we get so much artwork for it. And it, we accept all kinds of photography, digital photography, film photography. Uh, it can be photoshopped. It can be collage. Wow. We really are, are open to all kinds. Let me play with it. Mm-hmm. Now, just a technical thing for some people. How about resolution in terms of the size of the image? Some people want a really almost a print quality copy for paper. Does it matter what the resolution is? Well, when is you it... submit it online, it, it matters a little bit, a right. little bit less, to be honest. Um, we recommend when you upload it, it's a roughly like twelve hundred pixels by twelve hundred pixels is pretty standard for okay. us. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to printing, obviously, it's it's a little bit different. But right, right. You know, I'm sure our folks know what we're talking about is paper. If you're having an image for like a screen and a website, you don't need as many dots to make it work. It's okay. But if you're going to use physical media, you have to have a really dense image, and that mm-hmm. takes more more resolution. But there are a lot of yeah. great uh, printers and framers also in the yeah. area who, can, who yeah. can tell you more about that as well. So the deadline is November 10th, and the, the exhibits go from December 9th to the 20th. So plenty of time for people to yeah, check we've it ex- out. Yeah, well, we've extended that exhibit now so that it goes November uh, into January because with the holidays, you never yeah, know, you know right. the, what the traffic pattern is going to be like. So that exhibit or the is, is up with the weather, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look, in case you're listening to us on the radio here, we're talking to Liz Bologna, the executive director at Art Center East in Vernon. And there's a couple of more things to cover while we have her as some classes are starting. Uh, I see one in pastels and one in felted. People are getting into felt as a medium, aren't yeah, they? It's, it's very really tactile. interesting. Yeah. And we've we've run a couple classes before, and I think um, in the last couple of years we've started a fiber art um, exhibit that happens in February. Okay. And I think I'm because of that, that, we're getting a little bit more of a fiber-oriented audience. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I I think it's incredible. So the the felting class that we have coming up in December is for a landscape, and essentially. You make a landscape painting, but it's out of felt. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. It's not quite 3D, but it's certainly not two-dimensional. It, yeah, it's like right? something right? else entirely. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then our pastel class actually happens online. So uh, Jane Penfield has done an incredible job with, that when the COVID shutdown happened, she pivoted really quickly and said, we're oh, going to continue yeah, my class yeah. and do it online. And yeah. she figured out a way that really works for her and her students, and she's continued that way. And we have students from California who, who take this class. Sure, so that's beautiful. It, yeah, it's been great. I think that's one of the good things that came out of the COVID crisis is people were forced to be really creative. 
yeah. and online. I know many organizations had to meet online. Now they're saying, well, let's keep it that way for those that couldn't make it here. Yep. Town meetings. Those it's kinds nice of things. for accessibility for yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Or folks who you know who always had travel uh, travel problems who oh, were sure. always left out. Mm -hmm. Those folks can now join in. Absolutely. So there you go. This is good news all around. You want to go to the website now, artscentereast.org, to meet Liz and everybody there for all their events. I wish you great holidays ahead, and we'll try to have you back uh, later in the year to talk about the 2024. Okay? Absolutely. We'll have lots planned. <laughs> okay. Well, good luck with the fundraising, and we'll have you back. Take care. Thank you so much. Okay. So we're going to take a little short musical break before we have our phone call with Molly Ryder from Assets for Artists. We're almost ready for that call. This is the Thread City Jazz Trio, which is based at Eastern Connecticut State University. Two of their faculty members, uh, uh, it's Rick O'Neill and Anthony Cornicello, are both fine musicians. And this trio has put out a release looking at some classic jazz tunes, and they're kind of doing very nice renditions. Is uh, Someday My Prince Will Come, track number five. A short bit of music, and we'll come back with Molly Rideout. We're going to call her on the phone right now and talk about arts grant opportunities for you in Connecticut. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
Okay, we're back live on the home front here on WILI. John Murphy here. And right now we have Molly Rideout on the phone with us. She's been on the program in the past. She's the assistant director of the Assets for Artists program. That's part of the Mass MoCA service, the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. And that organization serves New England. And right now they're paying a lot of attention to Connecticut, which is our area in the east. So first of all, Molly, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you back on the program again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. You betcha. So let's get right to it. You have a couple of things that are coming up soon that people can, uh, you know, connect to for training and uh, for Apple, you know, uh, special opportunities to develop their business skills. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, you know, we've been working in Connecticut for you know a few years now, but right. it kind of can come in waves. And right now is a is a particularly exciting wave. Um, so we have some different workshops uh, that we can talk about. But mm -hmm. most exciting is. Currently, we have an open application for artists uh, in Connecticut, but with special priority for artists in, in Northeast Connecticut. Um, and it's a grant opportunity with a bunch of professional development learning tacked on. That's wonderful. One thing I want to do now before Molly goes is give you folks a website to jot down because everything that she's talking about is there for you to follow up quickly. It's uh, assetsforartists.org slash Connecticut or slash workshops. And Molly yeah. can give us a bit more of the details now. But that's where you can go to follow up, Molly. Go right ahead. Great. Yeah. So this grant opportunity, um, that Flash Connecticut URL will take you right to all the details about it. But it's uh, another year of our capacity building grant program, which we ran last year. And so dedicated listeners will remember us talking about it about this time last year, too. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a $2,000 grant for artists of any discipline. And so when I say artists, I could mean writer, I could mean dancer, I could mean, you know, someone who professionally sells socks, they make themselves, just about anything. Um, and so this grant will provide that, that um, $2,000 as well as access to a number of workshops that we offer as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching with uh, someone in our network of about 40 artist experts that we can pair folks with, most of whom are in New England as well. Maybe you could take a second, though. Something we talked about before is what capacity building is. And mm -hmm. people may not understand all the different levels that, that are at play there that they may need some help with. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a catch-all phrase, isn't it? So yeah, when we yeah. use capacity building, we mean everything about being an artist that isn't your actual craft. So that could be, you know, business side of things, how to do your taxes, how to write grants, how to um, open an online store, or it could be, you know, something that's a lot more tied to, you know, your personal needs, like how to become a first-time home buyer, how to plan a budget for your family when your income isn't regular because you're an artist who has busy seasons and slow seasons. Right, and how to just find community uh, or work with within your community. All of those are different pieces when we say capacity building. And, and our program really tries to meet artists where they are and what their individual needs are. So there's nothing required in this program. We like to say um, that, it's, that it's just full of opportunities. And so each artist can kind of self-determine what do they want to learn about. 
Um, what are their goals? And so how can we pair them with someone that helps them with that specific goal? Without losing us in a lot of the technical details, could you talk about the online process so people can kind of be efficient in how they decide? Some, some, some applications you can fill out live as you go. Some you can practice and kind of cut and paste the text. Uh, how does it work for you if people want to go ahead and move forward? Sure. So that um, assetsforartists.org slash Connecticut URL has, um, you know, information about the eligibility. It also has a link for the, the actual application, mm-hmm. as well as a PDF that folks can download to see what all the questions are going to be ahead of time. So, you Excellent. know, some of the best practices we like to, to talk to artists about is starting a separate document where you're you're drafting up your answers so that you have that saved on your computer just in case yeah. something happens on the online portal. Um, yeah. New this year, we also will allow uh, folks to, instead of writing out their answers, if writing is just something that's really difficult for you uh, for whatever reason, you can also upload a audio memo, a voice memo clip answering the particular question. Um, And it's limited to just one or two minutes, so you'll still have to be concise. Um, But just one additional way to do it without having to, um, you know, type out your answers or, you know, stress about that, that piece of it. That's really sensitive because artists are, you know, many of them are new at this and they really struggle with the first couple. And it can seem really like you're inventing the wheel when it's Mm. not that bad. And I know one thing to watch for is word count versus character counts, right? Some of those formats, I've done some of those grants and they go by how many characters you have. And you see 2,000 and you say, wow, that's a lot of words, right? You got to be careful. So when you can write things ahead of time, right? And you can get it figured out before you're online. That's so helpful to help people prepare. That's really nice. Those character counts, they've gotten me too, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I do want to say that the deadline for that for this application is November fifteenth. So we have uh, just just over a um, a month for that. And I also want to for sure recognize the Connecticut Office of the Arts who is partnering with us mm-hmm. on this, as well as the um, USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, they do a lot of support. The USDA does for small businesses and rural communities, and we artists, we're small businesses, even if we're just a small business of one. Um, so the grant funds for, for this program are coming from the Connecticut Office of the Arts, and then all these additional um, resources and, and professional development elements that the grantees will tap into is thanks to support from the USDA. That's a great collaboration to leverage assets, because they may be limited themselves, but by putting them together in a nice package, they can get it all done. Right, right. And for those of you who are, you know, eager to start learning even before, you know, while you're working on your application, we actually have a series of online workshops that are happening right now Mm -hmm. that you can sign up for and tap into. Um, One actually starts tomorrow if anyone has a free afternoon. Um, It's called Fostering Relationships with Galleries and Museums um, with uh, Kristen Becker. And this is one for for visual artists, especially who are at a stage of their career where they're looking to uh, connect with with professional galleries. And I know that that's not everyone, Mm -hmm. but for those of you who are at that stage, Kristen's workshop is 
chock full of really useful, specific tips for how to approach galleries, what to talk about, when to not talk to them, um, and and it's actually a two-parter, so it'll start tomorrow, and then a week later, there'll be a second one. Um, and then, just a couple weeks later, on November 6th, we'll have a workshop about photographing your artwork. And this is with a professional photographer who oh, will talk about, even if you just have an iPhone, how can you make your work look professional for future applications or for your website or anything like that. Um, That's so and wonderful. And we've got more still. Well, you know, if you're going to be doing photography for a screen, it's not quite the same thing as for a brochure. And perhaps for some artists, that gives them a little room to get their stuff out more widely, uh, depending on the image, right? Right, absolutely. And and this workshop is excellent in that. She talks about, you know, if you do want to invest in a camera, these are the kinds of things to look for. But here's all the ways that you can just use your, your smartphone, too. And here are some ways that we might have been using our smartphone incorrectly. Sure. Um, and here's how to get a better quality image. Oh, yeah. When you see these incredible phones today and then you see what people do with framing and uh, all the crazy things that could change your picture into something really fantastic with a little adjustment here and there. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what you can learn, right? And uh, right. the uh, the gallery training, you know, sometimes taking advanced training is good to learn the future path. You might not be ready, but this is how you can learn and what you're going to walk into uh, mm -hmm. while you can to have access to a person like that when you might not otherwise be able to know. Yeah, and for those those folks who aren't necessarily visual artists, because those can kind of uh, focus there. We do have two workshops following that are really for, for just about anyone. One is a new workshop for us. It's called Creating a Sustainable Financial Ecosystem as an Artist. And that's a fancy title, but what it really means is figuring out how your finances work and um, how to set goals for, for your personal finances and how those connect to what type of income you want to be making uh, from your art and how those two things can play. And then uh, later in December, for those looking that far out, we have a fantastic introduction to cooperatives. So those who are just tired of going at it on their own and want to kind of come together with other like-minded artists or maybe have an idea for a particular kind of gallery or studio, this is a workshop that kind of helps artists envision how what a cooperative model is, how it works in different forms, you know, like food. We think of it with the food co-op or oh, yeah. um, with labor co-ops. Um, and so just introducing the different ways that artists could be thinking about co-ops as well. Yeah, here in Willimantic, we're lucky. We have a fantastic food co-op, and we have the Swift Waters Artisans Co-op. It's been here for many years trying to share a, a kind of a retail space, and they mm -hmm. share the overhead, and they do some extra sweat equity by manning the store a certain number of hours a week. But it's been working for them. Yeah, I love that. I'm part of a similar one um, up here in Massachusetts. And, and what I love about this workshop is even for someone who isn't interested in literally opening a co-op, um, this workshop talks about different ways, that, you know, the ways that we can use principles from a co-op within just how we connect with artists. So, you know, a great example is what if you have three friends and you get together and decide, okay, you're going to do all of our marketing. You over there, you're going to do all of our grant writing and I'm going to do all of our photography. And so splitting up 
just the labor too, without yeah. necessarily having a formal cooperative model, right? Without you know signing legal papers for that, mm-hmm. but thinking about it in that way because there's just so much that we artists are expected to know how to do. And you know, wouldn't it be nice if if we can just share that and only have to be an expert in a few things? Yeah, something we talked about earlier in the show today is leveraging limited assets. So mm-hmm, you don't exactly. have to do it alone. And, in fact, you might do better with partners than you could unless you hit Powerball and get a billion dollars, you know. <laughs> uh, that's the reality check on that. Uh, right. By the way, if you're on the radio listening to us, we're speaking with Molly Rideout now. She's the assistant director of the Assets for Artists program at the Mass Mocha program. Uh, earlier today we were talking about capacity building and the mm-hmm. arts economy. And people are beginning to realize how to connect the dots when you think about all the money involved with the arts that sustains an economy, you know, just beyond buying a ticket to a show. Uh, in your experience there with A4A, can you talk about what that means in, in practice for the people you work with and what their visions are? Sure. Well, you know, we are most often working with individual artists, right? And so Uh thinking about what their individual goals are, and that can be, I want to save to buy a house. I want to save to have some type of legacy for the, you know, my children or my children's children and, and thinking about it on those individual levels. But more and more artists are also really concerned about, you know, what, what does this work mean for my community and how can I be connecting with my community? And, you know, the reality is, is that the arts is uh, a huge role in the GDP of of our each individual state and of our Mm -hmm. country overall. Um, And I know Americans for the Arts releases this excellent data each year of for each state, how much does the arts contribute to your GDP? And it's usually, you know, between two and five percent. and thinking about the individuals that, that make up that 2 to 5%, right? And, and how can we make sure that it isn't just a tourism economy, but it is an economy that is for our communities as well and for the livelihood of, of those who are working, you know, creating yeah. the, the work that we get to enjoy on the screen or on the stage or on a page. Right. In fact, you know, just what you said is happening in the last few years, maybe COVID forced cooperation, but arts, culture, and tourism are less and less of uh, individual silos, and they're more really trying to find common ground to share these resources and assets the way you're describing, so that all of their constituencies, it's all the same constituency, it's the public. Mm-hmm. So how do you serve mm-hmm. them in different ways, and uh, how does the small group get a piece of the pie, and not just the big ones? And that's where you have to get your skills, learn how to do this, learn your business, and programs like Assets for Artists are just dynamite to help people find their way. Yeah, and how how to find find fellow artists who are doing similar work to you. Yeah. you know, be that you know literally who who else are painters, but also you know thinking more broadly of who's who really cares about um, equitable housing and is creating work about that? Maybe that connects to something that I'm thinking about, and how could we work together to get the word out more broadly about, um, you know, the lack of, of housing for for different types of folks? Right. Yeah, these kind of things are what keep me optimistic about the future, even though right now mm-hmm. you want to walk around in a pair of waders because of mm-hmm. all the stresses under, under the normal system. But there's so many potential things people are looking for, and they're ready for it. 
Uh, yeah. So these programs are really toolboxes, and I'm really grateful to have you here uh, to share them when you can during the year, Molly. Yeah, thank you for, for having me. And, and, again, just for those who, who are just joining, two, two URLs to keep in mind. Um, assetsforartists.org is our program's main website. And if you add slash, it tells you all about this grant application that we have going on until November 15th. And then there's also a link farther down to the different workshops we've been talking about, too. Right. So assetsforartists.org. Assets, uh, so, Molly, thanks for joining us today. I wish you a great season ahead. I look forward to chatting with you as we get closer to the end of the year. Sounds great. It's been a pleasure. Take care, always. Take care, Molly. Thanks so much. Okay, so that's how time flies on this program. I'm very glad you shared some of your time with us. We'll see you next week for another edition. If you want to get involved, just use the email john at humanartsmedia.com, and we'll have you here before you know.